0: Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. Today, we're going to be talking about security in the news. It's something we've talked about before, but there's some particularly interesting things that have happened in the past few weeks. Specifically, we're going to be talking about some vulnerabilities that were disclosed to Apple showing that the privacy of their iOS ecosystem is not all that it was made out to be, a hack that affected Epic, which is a major hosting provider commonly used by extremists, and time permitting, we will talk about the compilation of multiple breaches, which is a massive password database uh, that has been making rounds on the internet probably about the past six months. So please join us and enjoy this update on Security in the News. All right, so today we have a few items that have been in the news quite recently. And then the well, the, the third one is, is this year, um, but it's still relevant. But basically, some, some pretty interesting things have popped up in the news. And specifically, that's going to be a bunch of O days that were released against iOS recently, like in the past week as of the time of our recording. Also going to talk about uh, the epic hack, or what is otherwise being referred to as epic fail. I'm pretty. I, I like that term. That's a good term. It is and a good then, term. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah like, pretty snazzy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. They did good there. Um, and then lastly, going to talk about something called the compilation of many breaches. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about the Apple O days. And for folks that haven't heard us reference O day before. Um, Basically, when somebody says Oday, we're talking about a vulnerability in a system that is released publicly without a patch. Uh, So, that is to say that the information that was released could be used to exploit machines that are actively available on the public internet and there is not a known patch being rolled out as of yet. And the Apple ones are particularly interesting to me because they are very impactful from a privacy standpoint. And Apple has been touting privacy as a significant motivator uh, and kind of significant product feature of the iOS ecosystem for a bit now.
2: Uh, I'd argue that's the primary differentiator between iOS and Android at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Mm -hmm. this has been, uh, you know... There are billboards where Apple is touting privacy as you know. You know, it, I think I've seen one of the advertisements like "What happens on your phone stays on your phone" or something to that effect. Which you know, when you know a bit about the mobile phone ecosystem and just how spooky some of the tracking that happens on these devices can be, uh, it's actually pretty big. Like, I, I have been I have been um, very supportive of this, right? Like the the fact that you have a trillion dollar market cap company saying that privacy is one of the things that it's focusing on is something that I was really happy to see. But in light of what has happened in the past week, um, I'm not feeling as good as I used to about it. And what has happened is basically Apple has a bug bounty, which we've talked about bug bounties before, but it's, it's basically they say, Hey, If you want to try hacking us, here's the rules. Here's what you can go after. Here's how you report things to us. Uh, Here's how we pay out. Here's how much we pay out. Here's the rules. And if you do this, you are granted safe harbor. Um, You are allowed to do this as long as you are are following the rules. And this is highly motivating for a lot of individuals because you can make some pretty good money finding vulnerabilities for various companies and reporting it to them. Like It's actually been... I. I'm a big fan of bug bounties. And so this individual reporter, I have the article here in front of me. Um, he initially reached out to Apple uh, back in April saying that, hey, he's got these vulnerabilities, uh, March and April. And over the course of the following six months, Apple has communicated a little bit and then kind of went dark and so in his in his, i guess uh, we don't we don't know if it's a he or she in in the course of this reporting this individual got really frustrated because there was no action being taken and this also, this stuff was likely being actively exploited and so they just released the details of what they had found and they had found four separate vulnerabilities One of them, they title the Gamed Zero Day or GameD Zero Day. And what this does is any app installed on your phone without any permissions whatsoever can receive the following information. Your Apple ID email and the full name associated with it. So that's going to be the email that you log into Apple with. The Apple ID authentication token, which allows access to at least one of the endpoints on star.apple.com on behalf of the user. Complete file system read access to the core Duet database, which contains a list of contacts from mail, SMS, iMessage, and third-party messaging apps, as well as metadata about users' interaction with those contacts. And this includes timestamps and statistics, and in some cases also includes attachments, like URLs and texts. And complete file system and read access to the speed dial database and the address book database, including contact pictures and other metadata like creation and notification dates. Wow. Um,
2: Chris, I'm not an iOS expert, but that sounds like everything. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's just enumerate everything.
0: Yeah, like enumerate all the things that are at least meaningful from a privacy standpoint, right? Yeah. Um, You know, recently, there's been a lot of hubbub about Apple having their do not track feature, which the initial reporting was all around how, oh, this is really going to change the landscape for how advertising works on iOS, because there's going to be way less information that you, you can use to track users, or at least users have to opt in to that tracking. Um, and and so just like on its, on its face though, even if you take the content of the data that is now accessible through this vulnerability, like we're talking full address book, all your contacts, all that stuff, yeah, just putting aside for a second that that information in and of itself is very sensitive and very private and should not be accessible without explicit permission, that's enough to uniquely identify you, right? Like irrespective Absolutely. of whether or not they're actually looking at the individual contacts. If you're saying, oh, you know, we have a private ecosystem on these iOS devices because you have to allow apps to track you before they're able to do so. If they can just get your whole contact list, the chances that you have the exact same contact list as
1: another individual is pretty darn
0: low.
2: It's effectively zero.
1: Yeah. Well, and yeah. if you do, you can start creating webs of of like uh, people who oh. are connected, right, and then yeah. start building other relationship databases based off of that starting ground. Yeah. And this is this is I mean, so Android had this problem long ago as well, right? And this is what a lot of government groups were abusing in Android was this exact type of vulnerability. Install an app that has zero permissions, So, everyone's like, oh, it doesn't request anything. Totally fine. And then it still pulls tons of stuff. Now, with Android, it actually was worse than what Apple is letting you pull. But it's still fairly bad. Um, And I think it's bigger egg on face on Apple, not just because they haven't paid this guy, but also because, uh, you know, this is Apple's... As as you and Logan have said, Chris, you know their their new claim to fame in the recent you know few years. Yeah, it's
0: <laughs> this is just one of the four vulnerabilities, just one of the four. So let's let's go to the second one. The second one he calls or that they call the Any Helper Enumerate Installed Apps zero day, and what this does is it allows any user installed app to determine whether any other app is installed on the device. Given its bundle ID, so I install an app that has no permissions. It can effectively enumerate what other apps I have installed on my phone. Um, again this is this is gonna be less unique from the standpoint of, as compared to your contact list, but the likelihood that somebody else has the exact same apps installed as you is again not it's gonna be somewhat rare. It's not gonna be totally unique. Unless you install an app, like you know, a metric ton of different apps, but it is going to be a pretty significant fingerprint for is this device the same or is this user connecting to this service the same as this other user connecting to this other service? You can just look at the apps installed on the device and say, well, they have the exact same apps installed, so it's probably <clears throat> likely that this is the same person. Yeah, and um, in addition to
2: that, you can use that information as a Sort of pre filter in a dragnet. So, say you're really interested in people who are affiliated with a particular political party, for example. And if they have this app, then you use the other exploit to get all their contact information.
1: Yep. Yep. Or journalists, right? Oh, journalists. Yeah. Let's let's just, I mean, we've been talking about targeting journalists the last few episodes. Let's just continue it. They seem to be the favorite target for governments recently.
0: Yep. And the, uh, the other part of this that I can see this being really actively used in um, like the app space is if there's an enterprise that has a specific app and they have a direct competitor, they can look on all the devices that their app is installed on and say, how many of these also have my competitor's app installed, right? Yeah. So, you can even gauge whether or not like how you're doing, whether installs are going up or going down, whether or not you're losing market share, all that stuff. So, there's plenty of like pretty strong motivation for the uh, app authors to use this sort of exploit. Oh, what's the third one? <laughs> the third one, you know, uh, you two being Wi-Fi experts, I think you're really gonna get a kick out of this. Uh, so that any helper Wi-Fi info zero day, um, there is a network helper utility within the iOS ecosystem. Uh, where apparently you can just set your SDK version to a specific value and you will gain access to Wi-Fi info um, on the device without any permissions. And like, if you've ever used Google Chromecast or if you've ever gotten the prompt of like, hey, this app wants to see if there's other devices on your network or something to that effect. I feel like this is probably in the same kind of like intention area of like what what this is supposed to allow for but what this can effectively do is give you a list of all of the wireless networks that are in range of the device Uh,
2: that can absolutely be used to uniquely identify an individual and where they are
0: and where (laughs) they are that's that's one of the crazy parts what's that what's that war driving open source website wiggle yeah wiggle wiggle uh this is one of y'all want to explain
1: what war driving is sure so, ward driving is an older term, um, but it is still relevant and people still do it today. But it is popping up a listening station for Wi-Fi that's connected to GPS. And this can be done through different types of software, um, typically done like on a Linux laptop. Um, you have a, a device, a wireless device in monitor mode, and then you have a GPS device. And... You start driving and what you're doing is you are mapping out the location of various wireless networks. Now you're not gonna get a perfect location for it. You're gonna get the rough area just because of typically how the setup is done, but it's good enough for someone to then take that data. They can upload it. You can download that data and if they put it in the correct format, uh, you can have it pop up on a Google Maps uh, layout, and you can start seeing wireless devices and where they are at. Um, so, if you're looking for how it was used in the back in when it was first being done, many many years ago, is this was used to help identify areas that have a lot of open wireless hotspots that you could just jump on and use for free internet at that time, because the the idea of having internet at a coffee shop or in a store was not one that was widely, you know, popularized at that time. So, if you wanted to connect or if you wanted to do some malicious activity, you can use someone else's network and they would get, you know, the feds called on them and not you. Uh, <laughs> so, so, that's actually how a lot of people started using war driving. Um, and then it became more um, like research-based set of, you know, using it to jump on to Take people's free Wi-Fi access. Um, it started to become a hey. Let's just map out how many wireless devices we have in the um, uh, in the area. Um, let's do a heat map stuff like this. Actually, uh, Chris and I were in a parade uh, one time, <laughs> and we were uh, my vehicle. I had a jeep uh, that had some radios in it, and we were collecting both wireless uh, Bluetooth and, uh, another particular range. Maybe we'll talk about that radio that I was interested in later, um, in a different podcast. Uh, and we were just collecting all this data while we're going in this three mile long parade. And there were millions. Well, how many people are there? There's like a That's million a people That's in, a at, at the oh, parade, real. right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, we we're able to catch a lot of data with it. And I actually built a really cool heat map from it. Um, and I I used it for a talk I gave, um, uh, you know, like a few months after. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, that was one case where we were war driving. Now, we're not there to capture people's data. When you're war driving, though you can, you're not typically capturing people's data to see what they're looking at. Or injecting data to like play with people, right? Uh, you're just there to build some type of map that shows devices or... Um, wireless access points in a particular location.
2: Yeah, Drew, um, I don't know circa what year you were doing this, but, and people don't normally do this, but you can capture f- for some networks and then um, use things like the Reaver exploit to figure out what the key is. And then you can put the key into Wireshark and decrypt all the packets. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah I-, I think
0: this was 20. 20- 13 somewhere around there yeah yeah, yeah that was <laughs> this is so funny like drew had had gotten his vehicle accepted into this parade and I was uh, uh privy to this parade as well and, and I got the invite of like hey you wanna you want to roll with me um, And parade, I was like absolutely I, I love this parade would love to be a part of it and I will never forget hopping into your Jeep and you just like open this bag I was like, put yourself in this bag it's like yeah <laughs> what why why do i need to put my cell phone in a bag any any time that i drew said anything about my phone
2: no time to explain Chris. yeah yeah it immediately
0: went up and it was a faraday cage bag and that was all i needed to know and it was a great time yeah that was super
1: fun
2: that's a sign of a true friend
1: oh yeah oh yeah uh <laughs> So well, the, now that I know the other radio I was capturing at, that time. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually one in the bag. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I talked about Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. I wasn't going to talk about cellular, but I guess we could talk about that. <laughs> I, think, I think it just it can just be
0: inferred anytime that uh, anytime Drew's <laughs> talking about capturing any sort of wireless stuff. But the um, I, and I, I think that this. Technology. So, so again, the, the, the whole idea behind war driving is you're driving around and you are sensing what wireless networks you currently have visibility to. You're also sensing these signal strengths. So, the receive signal strength indicator, which is going to tell you basically how weak is the signal. And then you're also recording the GPS coordinates so that you know, you know, when I'm sitting at this stop sign, I can see all of these different networks with these various strengths. And if you collect this data, so you, you can do it effectively reverse triangulation, which is to say, look, if I know that when I'm here, this, this particular Wi-Fi network is weak, and then when I drive another 100 feet, it's really strong, and when I drive another 100 feet, it's really weak, you can take those three points with the receive signal strength indicator and get a general indication as to where the wireless access point is actually sitting. And if you've ever used, um, if you've ever been in a browser and been prompted like, hey, in order for us to get a better indication of where you are located, give us access to your Wi-Fi. Well, what they're actually doing is they're, they're taking the list of wireless access points that you currently see, taking the received signal strength indicators, and then mapping that back to this massive database that they have and saying, okay, cool. We think that you're here and they're able to they're able to geolocate you much 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 better um, and and this this is really only in laptop and desktop environments because laptop and desktop environments don't typically have a GPS sensor um, so if they're trying to get more accurate geolocation giving giving Google Chrome access to inf- information about your current Wi-Fi networks the ones that you can see will give them the ability to really really figure out exactly where you are um, Chris, uh- it's
1: a pretty great effect.
2: Uh, I'm like 99% sure that Android does that as well, and I'd wager a guess that iOS devices, yeah. Do
1: yeah, it. yeah, they they all do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and in fact, if you can the the people's devices, if you have a map or some type of map of where devices are, you can then start looking for people's devices that aren't connected to Wi-Fi but still have Wi-Fi turned on, and it will broadcast, you know, multiple networks that they've. Uh, connected to beforehand. And then you can actually, without having to actively uh, interface with that device, you can capture that all passively and then mark where they've been before. And there was a time where there was a... um, I was in a meeting with some angel investors and we made a claim that we'd be able to Determine where people have been before based off of this idea. One of the angel investors thought that was interesting, so he wanted to know where he's been before, and his answer was he's been to um, a few strip clubs in the Atlanta area. Uh, uh, I think he had been to Alluvia
2: which uh, is the restaurant in the Cheetah. The Cheetah, mm-hmm. yes,
1: it is. That is correct. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, uh, we all spent time in Atlanta.
1: Yep. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> that's, that's what we've heard of it before. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the cheetah, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we were able to say like, yo, this is, this is where you're at. And it was hilarious. The reaction, cause it was like a reaction of high and mighty to a reaction of like, ah, huh. well, I didn't know my device was spilling out all that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, oh yeah. Spills out a lot more information. Yeah, and and this, especially in light of uh,
0: anybody who has used GPS features on iOS apps, it'll prompt you. It's like, oh, do you want to give your location to this app? And you can choose like allow once or allow while this app is open or allow it forever for this app or don't allow. And that's giving access to the GPS coordinates that are coming from the GPS sensor. But the thing is, if you can get information about wireless networks, are the wireless networks that a device currently sees, and you have this big database, you don't need GPS. You're going to be able to get some pretty accurate understanding of where that user is currently located, and you're going to be able to track them over time. And look, from an ad tech standpoint, that's really valuable data to have. Um, so, like this is this one is bad. All all bad. of these are bad. All of these taken together can kind of summarily be lumped together to say like there is not really any privacy um, when it comes to who you are, where you are, where you're going, where you've been, any of these different things. If this data can be collected over time surreptitiously surreptitiously by apps that are not asking permission, then yeah, all bets are off with respect to really any level of privacy. Um, And that's only three. There's a fourth one. There's a fourth one. And, and this one, uh, to be clear, it, it says it was fixed in iOS 14.7. I think we're on iOS 15.0, or maybe there were a minor version ahead of that. So this has been fixed, which also brings up another aspect of why were these fixed without compensating this individual. Um, but this one's an uh, Analytics D uh, bug or vulnerability. And Analytics D is, I guess, just the daemon that will collect a bunch of analytics information about the user that uses a device. Uh, But the log files um, that Analytics D generates were apparently accessible without any permissions. And this includes some really creepy stuff like medical information, heart rate, count of detected atrial fibrillation, irregular heart rhythm events. And even if you're tracking like your period or something, menstrual cycle length, biological sex and age, whether users user is logging sexual activity. Uh, Device usage information, like whether or not you're picking up the device in different contexts, the number of push notifications you have, stuff like that. Screen time information and session count for all applications with their respective bundle IDs. Information about device accessories with their manufacturer, model, firmware version, and user-assigned names. Application crashes with bundle IDs and exception codes and languages of web pages that the user has viewed in Safari. So I don't know about y'all, but I don't know if I would consent to giving out any of this information, even to Apple. Um, oh, yeah. That, that's
1: a hard elect no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hard it's no. a hard nope. Yeah. Apple cannot collect my menstrual cycle data. <laughs> I'm not even going to touch that. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah so, so taken all together, we have the first one that is effectively just, you can get a bunch of information about the Apple ID. And again, if you can get the Apple ID email, okay, it's sure you can send spam mail to that person, but also that's a unique identifier that is going to go across different devices, um, across updates, everything like that. The full name associated with it, are you kidding me? So like plenty of information about the individual, plenty of information about the apps that are installed on the device. Plenty of information about the Wi-Fi networks that the devices around, and then this last one is like personal health data. All of this taken together, I, yeah, I'm really questioning what all of the pro, like pro privacy standing that Apple has even means at this point, because you know that there are also exploits. So the author here, I don't know if it's the author that that wrote the exploits. But he gives sample code. They give sample code uh, that shows how to do it, and there are now apps that are available on GitHub that you can download and install on your phone, and it will demonstrate. Look, here's how I'm getting all the information.
2: Ooh, that's um, that's really not great.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's easy packaged up. You can fork it, put it in a new app, whatever. Uh, but it's it's yeah. I'm I'm pretty disappointed. With this, because I was like, I, I also, I recommend iOS and, and iPhones because it's like, yeah, that privacy is something that they take seriously. And privacy is something that they're actually investing in. And I do think, you know, you, you can't just, you, you can't just throw out the whole, you know, baby with the bathwater. If the company uh, is everyone saying, makes mistakes. E- everyone yeah. makes mistakes, there's always going to be vulnerabilities. Um, but I think the, the part here that is the most disappointing to me is after half a year of knowing about these vulnerabilities, of them being submitted to the Apple bug bounty program, they weren't fixed. So if you're actually gonna take That's privacy- my road to- Yeah, if you're gonna take privacy really seriously, like all of the bug bounty programs that I have been privy to, that I've been responsible for, when something comes in, you're kind of evaluating priority in comparison to like, yeah, company values. What, how is this actually gonna be able to impact users? What is the context in which it's going to impact them? And that drives priority. These should be P0, drop everything and fix it. And maybe it's that these various vulnerabilities are really hard to fix. Chris, uh, we don't know what their
2: backlog looks like. They may just have some even higher priority stuff going on.
0: That then hire more people and hire better people. It's hard for me to really reconcile that, but it's possible. It's definitely possible, and I'm sure there are – I'm sure there's worse vulns that they know about that they're working on fixing, but these are bad.
2: And the fact that they did not maintain, like, open communications with the researcher. Yeah.
0: Of all all things, like (laughs) – There are services out there that are effectively CRM platforms or customer relationship management platforms that tell you, hey, you haven't responded to this individual. Like, here's the timeline you're supposed to like. All of the management around communications with bug reporters, that is a solved problem. That is a solved problem for enterprises that are much, much smaller businesses. And it's just, it is, this is damning.
1: Mm -hmm. It's, It's really not great. And the crazy thing is a lot of these vulnerabilities, if you're just to tell someone, like generally, without going into all the explanations that we did, someone about them and be like, oh yeah, isn't that bad? They probably wouldn't understand the full complexity of these risks, right? Now, Apple clearly understands that. We we clearly understand and We explained it to the users, but it shows how disconnected a lot of people are also from understanding how these little weaknesses that are zero days, so they're not, I mean, it's, it's not like a tiny weakness. It's fairly significant, but these these little items can add into something that could be used later down the road and leveraged against users that may not even know that they were compromised because someone else's device was compromised and they just so happened to get sucked into this whole web. Um, yeah. So- I don't know. Have you all looked at how much Apple pays for bounties? Yeah. No idea.
0: I, I so, have, not. and this one's supposed to be. This one, he's saying they they are saying it is like a hundred thousand. Is the sort of yeah. bounty that they would be expecting. Hundred thousand. Pretty pretty penny.
1: It is. Could have sold it to the government for more, but we don't need to talk <laughs> about that here. Uh, we've already, already done
2: an episode on responsible disclosure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this person's trying to do Apple and. users a solid
1: solid. (laughs) yeah seriously a huge solid right like if i if i knew this person i'd be like yo let's go flip these for a few mil (laughs) 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 just
2: Um,
1: kidding i would say you should probably report these to apple and they will never pay you but if you want to get paid and then me, we can yeah. flip it <laughs> <laughs>
2: so and to that point what do you all think of the researcher releasing these to the public given 100
1: percent ethical yeah 100
0: i yeah i don't it's such a gray area um i don't know i, I like like I don't think that I can really reason about how I would behave uh, unless I was put in these shoes because I would be ethically torn, right? <laughs> like, well, I reported them. I'm supposed to go through this like, whole safe harbor thing. I'm trying to do the right thing. They're not fixing it. What do you do at that point?
1: Um, yeah. He told them over 90 days ago on it, right? They oh, did fix- he give him the 90 day window? He did. He did. Uh, uh, 90, oh, okay. The 90 day window is, is something that
0: is worth debating because, you know, depending on how deep a vulnerability is, 90 days is, might not be enough to
1: fix it. Yeah. Um, I, I also agree, zero day windows should be allowed. Um, but uh, now, <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh, opposite of what Chris was saying. If you. Uh, <laughs> now, oh, um, <laughs> oh. I think but, with. Um, uh, but they just, fixed his vulnerability and they didn't give him credit for it. Right? Yeah. It's not that they didn't just pay him, right? So, Apple pulled a Secret Service, right? Not paying people. And then, uh, that's a joke. And if you don't know what it is, <laughs> just Google Secret Service not paying and then hit enter. Uh, not safe for work. Um, but with that, <laughs> um, they uh, they didn't give him credit for it, right? Yeah. And, and this this person not only is doing this to, you know, get money, Sure. But I bet you he if they would have gave him credit for that, still without paying him right now, he would not have released these other vulnerabilities. He would have waited. That's all Apple had to do. Just give him credit. Just give yeah. him credit. And you could have avoided all this issue.
0: The silent patching, well, a reported vulnerability, is another pretty
1: big mark on the on the on the report card here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say that's why I'm with this person with with releasing it, right?
2: Uh, taking the entire situation, I I think they were probably trying to do the right thing, especially if yes. they were um, mm-hmm. if these vulnerabilities were act, under active exploitation. Yes. and Apple was not fixing them. Like, what are you going to yes. do?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I, I I will say that you know reading reading the report and reading the timeline. And assuming that they're being honest with everything that they are uh, putting forward, it seems like they were they were working in what they believe to be the best interest of the general public. Um, so so credit credit for that. I really can't say what I would have done in this situation. It's just like you know, one of the one of the biggest device manufacturers in the world is being negligent in their handling of really concerning privacy vulnerabilities, what do you do?
2: Uh, Out of all of the companies in the world, they are most qualified and capable of getting this right.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's not, it's, you know, it it would be another thing if it's like, well, it's really hard to patch these. So it's gonna, and they have billions of devices worldwide. And so in, in order to actually patch them, it's gonna be really complicated and all that. That's fine. That's totally fine. The part that is not fine is, not keeping the researcher in the loop and not keeping them updated, right? Because I'm also willing to bet that if in the process of communication, they had said, look, this is really complicated. Um, We are having trouble patching these things. We have to roll out some pretty significant things. Also, they just did a major version release, right? So they just released 15.0. So if they were going to introduce breaking changes, that's the right time to introduce breaking changes. Mm -hmm. Um, But they didn't, if they had said the whole time, look, we're working on it. We plan on paying you out. This is great. Thank you very much for reporting it. We appreciate your contribution, all that stuff. I'm willing to bet this article would not not have been written. And this article is making the news in a lot of places right now.
2: As it should. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But you know what? At this rate, I think we're actually only going to have time to talk about two, which is fine because the two that we're going to talk about uh, are both super interesting um, mm-hmm. But I think we have belabored the point with Apple, kind of like, shame on you. This is – that this is if privacy is something that you are touting as something that makes your brand – that you are putting your brand behind, this is evidence that that is not true. Um, so let's move on then to Epic. And Logan, I'm going to kick it over to you because I think you have been in the weeds with it uh, – between the three of us – in the weeds with this the most – So, tell us a bit about Epic Fail. Oh, yeah. Operation Epic
2: Fail. So, um, can uh, you spell Epic for the users or for the listeners? Oh, uh, good call. So, this is not Epic as in Epic Games. It's E-P-I-K. And um, Epic, it's a hosting company where you can, if you just want to set up a website you can get your domain name; they'll host for you and handle all of that for you. And um, you know, I, I really don't know much
0: about Epic. Other well, I, than I know, I know one one anecdotal story that will that will help paint the picture here, um, which is back when there was the Christchurch shooting. So the uh, extremists that shot up a mosque and killed a bunch of people um apparently gab which is a like far right messaging community platform um Mm -hmm. apparently gab is where this individual was talking and live streaming and giving all these updates because like this individual live streamed the massacre if i'm remembering correctly
2: that's right i thought that mm -hmm. was on 8chan
0: uh it's probably also there yeah i think yeah tomato tomato um And, oh man, yeah, and <laughs> yep. Uh, the internet, yep, yep, yep. And so, as a result of this, uh, I think like Gab was taken offline by the hosting providers, and um, like basically the the associated message boards were all taken down. And the founder of Epic cites this event as something that was, you know, really rubbed him the wrong way. And you know, we're, we're quashing freedom of speech. Granted, he's talking about freedom of speech in the context of somebody live streaming. Them killing a bunch of people, um, and so the the founder took a stand to say my hosting platform does not censor users based on political beliefs or anything like that. And as a result of this action, a lot of the extremism, especially the like far right extremism that we see here in the United States, a lot of those websites then moved their hosting to Epic because you know when you're hosting terrorist content or or you know extremist content. A common thing to have happen is the hosting provider will delist you and yeah, basically deplatform you. Yeah, de- yeah. deplatform mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And so Epic was then touting itself as, hey, you don't have to worry if that's the content you have because we support you having that content here on our platform. So that I is see. a bit of context there. Back to you, Logan. Thanks. Yeah. I,
2: I was going to say the one thing I knew was that they were very lenient in the content that they hosted, but I did. I did not know they had taken such an active position in that, you know, you want something online, we will host it.
0: Yeah. Oh, and, and, <laughs> and one other thing, uh, I think, I think is a CEO, uh, you know, the last name of the CEO. Now, I'm looking at it right now, but you say it. Monster, his actual registered last name, legal last name is Monster. <laughs> like, come on. Can't make it up.
1: Yeah. Wait, his first name is Robert, though, right?
0: I don't know. Yeah. His yeah. first name is probably not as important as his last one in this <laughs> oh.
1: oh, no. <laughs> he is. goes by Robbie
2: M, actually. Robbie oh, okay. M. Um, so, Epic. They're, they're hosting um, content for lots of unsavory websites. Uh, so, in particular, with respect to this data leak, people have been interested in uh, far-right uh, white nationalist, often white nationalist content like Parlor, Gab, uh, Proud Boys, um, a, a group called Anonymous. They've been around for a, a very long time. I don't remember the last time I saw them in a headline. Yeah. Um, they, comp- well, I guess they compromised a single machine and then proceeded to create a torrent of this data. So now there's about. 169 giga- gigabytes of Epic data online for everyone to peruse. And this happened within the, within the last week or two. And I imagine there are a lot of people in these communities who are really sweating at this point.
0: Yep. Yep. There's, uh, there's some Florida real estate agent that uh, <laughs> has their information... As the person financing a website, uh, one there there were like four different websites. One of them was Christians Against Israel. Another one was um,
2: that's a hot take.
0: Yeah, Racism Inc. Um, <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, that's pretty on the nose. Pretty on the nose. <laughs> like, I, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think that there's really much room for interpretation there. But yeah, so that that's what's happening because because the data. Um, And the the data is being sifted through now. What's really interesting is a lot of reporters want to know, like, hey, who is financing these networks? Who is providing the backing for these networks? And due to the way that the internet works and the way that some of these networks are put together, even figuring out, like, for a single extremist website, who's behind it can take a significant amount of effort. But now it's like here's all of the billing details and here's all of the like who is records. And here's all the registrar registrant information and all that behind all these different sites. And it's going to be a field day for, for the researchers that dig into this sort of stuff.
2: It really will be. I'm, I'm very curious to see if there are any, um, uh, prosecuted cases that leverage this data. Mm. That,
0: that's, that's one of the things that I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer uh, and I don't pretend none of us to are. be. Yeah, none, none of nope. us are by a long shot, as you can probably tell. And uh, <laughs> but my, my question is, you know, this data, to have access to it legally via like a subpoena or something like that, you know, you, you have legal due process. What is the precedent for if this data is shown in the public through surreptitious means, so somebody breaking in, hacking and releasing it? if that does happen, is it admissible in court? Is it public domain knowledge? Like, I don't, if if there's any lawyers listening and you can give us some insight, I'd love to know more because now it's like, there's a lot of evidence that is just out there for public consumption. Like all sorts of research teams are downloading this data and, and, you know, the thumbing through it. What, what can happen as a result of this as far as legal proceedings are concerned? I don't know.
2: Yeah. I don't know either. Um, can you imagine being like the poor flower shop owner who had a website hosted by Epic and now all your data (laughs) is ganked?
0: That is. So, uh, Mr. Monster, uh, has, has stated that like, Oh yeah, you know, Epic has millions of websites and, you know, a very small percentage of them possibly involved in this sort of stuff. You know, we, we're not in the business of moderating our user content. We believe in freedom of speech and freedom of the internet. We're not here as censors. yada, yada, yada. Um, and so, you know, that, that position is believable to a point, but I think, you know, Mr. Monster's previous statements around like basically wanting to support the sort of freedom of speech because like I'm all for freedom of speech, you know, it is a foundational element of the country that I believe in and I am very much for freedom of speech. But I think the term has really been bastardized recently because freedom of speech now is more often talking about extremist hate speech like and the ability to have extremist hate speech amplified via the internet. So, um, you know, the statements that this individual made very much line up with that interpretation of freedom of, of speech. And so, you know, yeah, okay, maybe only 1%, whatever. But if, if 1% of the websites you're hosting are effectively terrorist content where people are organizing like violent militia stuff, um, you know, What's that saying about one bad apple? It spoils the bunch. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh. My rub is,
2: well, try not to rant, but like uh, the First Amendment dictates what the government can do to us. He's running a private company. Yeah. Like if if he does not want that content on his website, he's not obligated to host it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's just exchanging dollars
1: for, um, you know. Supporting extremists. I wonder how many Fed sites were on that, like <laughs> Fed ran, like honeypot sites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's, it's uh, the cases that look really bad and then they disappear. Yeah, those are probably the ones that were ran by Fed's. <laughs> yep yep the yep. researchers are like oh we don't know what happened to this mm. <laughs> who is john doe he's a registrar yep. for a lot of websites here yeah man he's about to get
0: some national security letters <laughs> yeah yeah it's it, i expect that we're gonna see plenty more about uh the the fallout from this particular hack
1: in in the coming coming weeks and months just I because bet you I bet you we won't see it until 2022 or 2024. Hmm. Why is it that will, true? Because it's it will be take. uh yes, I, it is, but it is a educated guess. Um or maybe I'm just jaded. Um why use weapons before you need them? Mm. And those two are election years. Yep. Right? Yep. Like yeah. I if I was a researcher, I would just save it. And if if this was like my area of research, I guess I should say, I'd be like, all right. So, uh, I have data. I run a think tank. It would be great if my think tank got funding to support your claims that you want to make in, you know, 2022 or 2024. And... The smart researchers, that's what they will be doing. I believe if I was a researcher for this, this is that that's exactly what I would have done within the first day this data came out.
2: It it makes perfect sense to keep your powder dry until there's more money out Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Unfortunately,
1: (laughs) that's just me with my tinfoil hat on. So you got a lot of those, don't you? (laughs) Grounded. They work. <laughs>
2: so um I've got a funny uh, technical detail on yeah, the this Epic Fail. Oh yeah. So uh the torrent that uh you download to get this data set, it's thirty seven megabytes, which for people who don't torrent things is huge vis- strangely large. Huge. Yeah, it's huge. If you try and open it in UTorrent, it it, it won't open because it's too big. Um, uh, I eventually got this torrent open and I'm pretty sure it's so huge because when they, uh, copied the data on the server, they did not, for example, create a, um, forensic image that takes, uh, one single copy of the hard drive, puts it in one file. What I think they did was they may have actually seeded the torrent on the box they compromised because it's just like the root file system
1: <laughs> Yo, wait, that's wait. So good. <laughs> you, you said you said you, th- you said 30 uh, something gigabytes megabytes megabytes oh, megabytes megabytes okay yeah but uh, i just gotta kick out of that i've never that's seen no. a torrent
2: that big big in my life
0: yeah yeah, yeah like for for reference torrents like
1: magnet links are a handful of kilobytes Right, and, like, and that's what we're talking about here is is that actual like link, not the torrent itself, not yeah. the contents. The contents, right. 169 gigabytes. Right. Yeah. Right, right. 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 I just wanted to make sure the listeners understood that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's it's um for for folks that haven't torrented before, I, one I don't believe you. Two, uh, <laughs> the way that torrenting works, and one of the reasons that it is a tool that pirates tend to reach for is. Uh, you effectively download this manifest that says, this is the file that you want to download. And then you connect to the uh, torrent network and you end up downloading that file from a lot of other, uh, they're called seeders uh, or people that are seeding the file. So instead of you downloading the whole file from a single place, you will end up downloading one small piece from that party and one small piece from that party and one small piece from that party and then the software running on your computer will reassemble all of that data together to give you the initial data that you were looking for. Um, and so what Logan is saying is instead of somebody like taking all of the data, zipping it up, pulling it off of that system, and then like seeding a torrent with that one file, it looks like they just started a torrent for the root file system of the server that was compromised and then just immediately started downloading it via BitTorrent. Like that is the... That is a speculation, which I've never heard of that before. That is—it's pure that,
2: speculation on my part.
0: But but that, like also like, <laughs> can you imagine? Like, yo, why is there so much network traffic these days? I don't know, <laughs> man. It's all coming from this one server. It's a, just a lot of a lot of. They're really traffic. into our content. Yeah, man. they're really into our content, especially on this administrative server. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and amongst the files that uh, reportedly were released. Uh, I've, I've heard, and again, I have not verified any of this myself, so perhaps it is all hearsay. Um, the details about what all is in there is still kind of like being understood. Apparently, there's millions of, um, of like invoices that are paid and the people that paid them and credit card, like the tens of thousands of credit card numbers and all the information that is necessary to register a website. Um, apparently, also, they were recording failed login attempts, for and they would record the email address, the password, and the IP address that the request came from any time that a login failed.
1: Oh, would it show the attempted password? Yes.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. oh plain text. Man. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
0: for everyone New else out there, that's, database. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Not great. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I am. I am very interested to see what happens as a result of this. Uh, it's. Like, look, again, I am very much for freedom of speech. When you get into the sort of speech where you're organizing violence, um, that really kind of stresses the, the definition of it. And considering that this hosting provider ended up being kind of an enclave of protection for some of the most objectionable, um, like pro-white nationalism, far-right extremism platforms in the United States, at the very least, I, and I, I would not be surprised in the slightest if it turns out that it wasn't just U.S.-based sites. Um, I, I, you know, my hypothesis is that there is a lot of the same people running this in multiple countries, um, or running the same sort of sentiment in multiple countries, because we do see this sort of sentiment growing not just within the continental United States. Um, mm-hmm. I am, you know, the 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 what is it? The chickens have come home to roost. Is that how that is the
1: roosters? I don't know. Well, you, you get what I am saying. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. yeah fr- from a different perspective, the only reason why I like sites that will host stuff like that is from a law enforcement perspective. It makes it really easy to gather intelligence against those groups of people um, and start building cases against them. Especially, and this becomes doubly true, when those sites believe that they have vetted everyone who's been on them. Mm -hmm. So, some sites, um, some like extremist sites will vet everyone and sometimes they do that with like an in-person vetting and stuff like that. Um, And when you allow these people to speak on these sites, there is a danger to it for sure. Um, But it allows case building to be rapidly Mm -hmm. um, formed. And then it also allows, um, and I have experience with this uh, part, it allows for easier... Use of parallel construction. We don't have time to get into parallel construction. Maybe we'll do an episode mm-hmm. or we'll talk about it later in a later episode. <laughs> I know. But it is uh, it is definitely something that can be used as a weapon for good for law enforcement. Um, and when you silence the wires, such as you take these sites off, you make it so that we now had to spin up more yep. effort and more time to start monitoring these same people right yeah mm-hmm. yep. so that is my only caveat that i will add to to what uh, chris was saying yeah um beforehand and uh, it, it is a interesting but very limited but remember this my 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 point on that is a very limited scope right i'm not so so don't take it as like, oh yeah, this is why we need these sites everywhere. It, no, it's it's very limited in its intent. So don't misinterpret my my statement on that. But yeah, it's a uh, it definitely I've seen it used as a tool um, for law enforcement, and it's hilarious when it's used as a tool. It's like this person was planning X, Y, and Z, and they're like, they can't prove that, and it's like actually, here's all your chat logs. Um, <laughs> we can. <laughs>
0: That's uh, so. there's, there's this individual who I, I consider to be one of my mentors that I used to work with. And I uh, read through a bunch of his engineering docs when I first onboarded at one of, my, one of my previous jobs. And one of the things that I really loved was that every one of his engineering docs would start with a quote from Sun Tzu's Art of War. And there is a specific – I don't know what the quote is off the top of my head, uh, but the general gist of it is – when all of your walls are impenetrable, you have no idea where the enemy is going to get in. So, if you know where a specific weakness is and you allow that weakness to be maintained, then you have a much better idea of like, okay, we need to fortify this position or we need to watch this position. You will know where the enemy is. And so, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the notion of, well, if you let behavior continue to act that you know about happen in a specific place, if you were to shut down that behavior, it wouldn't stop that behavior, it would just go elsewhere out of sight. Um, And so there is value in in keeping it just from a, a defensive security posture position. The three takeaways for today's show are, one, a number of vulnerabilities were disclosed in iOS affecting user privacy. Two, Apple's response to these vulnerabilities has not been in line with their production position on privacy. And three, Epic, a major hosting provider commonly used by extremists to host their content, has been endemically compromised and will know more about the individuals on the platform in the coming weeks, months, and years. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation around some recent security events that have happened in the news. Over the coming weeks and months, we hope to know and learn more about how Apple is going to handle these privacy implications of the vulnerabilities that were reported, as well as who might have been behind some of these extremist websites that were hosted on Epic servers. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to talk about the compilation of multiple breaches, which is also another interesting item, but maybe we'll cover it in one of the coming episodes. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Explained. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for new topics that our audience finds interesting and you might be able to pick our next show. Feel free to reach out via social media or give us a rating on your listening platform to let us know how we're doing. You can find us on the web at securityexplained.fm or on Twitter at SecExplained. Thanks again, and until next time, stay safe.